Well, we are starting a brand new message series today, and we're calling the series Erased. The series is about the Holy Spirit, and it might sound odd at first hearing the series called what it is, Erased, tied to the Holy Spirit. Why is it called that? Well, it's because far too easily and far too frequently, I think, we can neglect the ministry and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually as well as corporately in the church. It happens and happens very, very easily. Um, I don't know what all of your backgrounds are as far as it relates to church and where you've come from and what your understanding is as it relates to the Holy Spirit. And we we probably have different backgrounds represented here. Uh, If you grew up like me, I grew up in a very, you know, the very typical Baptist church. And while we talked about the Holy Spirit in terms of facts about him, I mean, we knew that he was part of the Trinity. We knew that he was divine. Um, But there wasn't a lot of emphasis placed on the personal relationship with the Holy Spirit and understanding his presence in your life. You know, we talked about knowing God the Father and knowing Him as your Father. We talked about the Lord Jesus and knowing Him as your personal Savior. But there wasn't a lot of attention and energy spent with the same focus on the Holy Spirit as He related to the personal life of the believer. Maybe that's been your experience. I remember growing up um, visiting some of my other friends' churches and uh, there wasn't that void, it, it didn't seem. Now, it seemed to go the other direction in some ways, which prompted several conversations with my dad, and we talked a lot about uh, the different dynamics that are able to be observed in the different churches as it relates to the Holy Spirit and the way different believers look at, at that. And my dad has always been a very candid person. If those of you who know him uh, would probably agree with that, he's he doesn't really mind telling you what he thinks, and he does it in a great way. He does it in a respectful, tactful manner. But you know, he he very clearly communicates what you're asking, and he pr- tries to provide you as clear an answer as possible. And he always did that with me. Always appreciated that. I felt very free to come to my dad about anything. And so I just asked him, Dad, why why in our church do we not seem to hear as much about? the Holy Spirit and, and about his presence and his, his power in, in the life of the believer. I was probably 13 or 14 when we had this conversation. And he said, well, he said, I'll just tell you. He said, I think it's because we're afraid. I said, afraid? Afraid of what? So we had kind of an impromptu church history course in that conversation. And the long, the, the long story kind of summarized is, my dad very clearly communicated that out of a desire for churches like we were part of, very typical independent Baptist church, out of a desire to separate from what is by and large a, a very clearly unbiblical approach in many different circles in the treatment of the Holy Spirit, out of a desire to, to separate and to have biblical integrity, uh, what happened is it kind of swung the farthest extreme on the other side of, of the issue or of the concept. 
So, you know, that's typically what we find. And we do that with a lot of things as believers and, and in churches. Uh, far too often we see this extreme or that extreme. And the pendulum swings to extremes rather than finding the right balance that is necessary. And as it relates to the Holy Spirit, I think that far too often, whether we are aware of it or not, or we would even admit it, I think as individual believers, I think that we far too often neglect the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, in our own walk with Christ, but that also carries over into the corporate life of the church. And so often we neglect him to the point where it's as if we have erased him from our conversation, from our thought life, from our heart, from our practice. And church, we need to strive against that habit. We need to reverse such a tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit, both individually and as it relates to the church, to corporate worship and corporate practice. Because the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for your life as an individual believer, for your walk with the Lord, for your growth, for your strength, for your hope, for you to be the witness that you're intended to be as one who has Christ as your Savior. And that also is true for the church. We will truly be a powerless church And we will be much like any other institution, nothing really setting us apart unless we depend constantly on the direction and the empowerment of the Spirit of God. He is absolutely vital, absolutely necessary. And that's what we're going to be covering throughout this series. We're going to be looking at some very specific areas of the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as individual believers and in the life of the church together. Jesus made it very clear how important the Holy Spirit is by providing this incredible statement. I mean, this was a striking statement that he offered to the disciples before he went to the cross as he talked about his impending death, and he clearly said, that's not going to be what, what ends. I'm going to come back from death. I am going to rise from the dead. But you need to know, after I rise from the dead, I'm going to go back to my Father. I mean, he told the disciples everything. He didn't, he didn't really leave anything out. doesn't mean they got it. They didn't quite understand it all. We know that. But he did communicate. He said, here's what's going to happen, guys. This is where we're headed. I'm headed to the cross. And you're going to desert me. You're going to leave me. But it's okay because you'll come back to me. And and it's okay because I'm going to come back to life. But after that, you need to understand and be prepared for the fact that I'm going to leave. I'm going to go back to my father. And in that conversation, he gave this incredible statement. He says this in John 16, 7. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now put yourself in the disciples' position for a minute. You've just been told again that your beloved master, your teacher, your friend, your Lord, 
who you might just be starting to recognize the significance of. You might just be able, some of you, start to see this is not just a teacher. This is not just a man in front of me. There's something special. There's something significant. I think he might even be God. And you're starting to maybe wrap your mind around that when he's reminded you again that his path leads to death. His path leads to the cross. And you're trying to process that and the weight of that, and you've already now seen one of your own fellow disciples, your trusted friend, the the holder of the money, has now been outed as the betrayer of your master, your friend, your Lord. You're, You're dealing with that. And then he says, in all of the despair that's coming from my impending death and all that will, will do to your heart and to your mind, the way that that will crush you, I want to give you some hope. It's not going to be all over. I really will rise again. I'll come back to life. And so you're, you're happy about that. So it's all these emotions going up and down. Then he drops another bomb where he says, but after I come back to life, it's not like I'm just going to stay here with you the rest of your life. I'm going to return to where I came from. I'm going to return to the Father. But it's okay because it's actually going to work out better for you that way. So, I mean, just put yourself there. I mean, there's just this range of emotion and conversation. And you're going from one thing to another and your head's just spinning. But it really is true what he said. It was to his disciples' advantage that he went away because the helper came. It's to our advantage as well. The ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit is that incredible, that essential to our very life. But before we get into that and unpack that, the significance and the impact of his ministry and some of the specific ways that he does work and and some of the specific ways he does minister into our lives, our hearts, into our church, before we get into those, we need to make sure we understand who the Holy Spirit actually is. We need to get on the same page with who the Holy Spirit is because like many things throughout God's word, like many concepts and many realities, there's a lot of misunderstanding that is very prevalent and very possible as it relates to the person of the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, a lot of times... A lot of times you might hear things said of the Holy Spirit or you might, you might have people that kind of relate to the Holy Spirit like a Star Wars movie, you know? A lot of people and a lot of thought, a lot of philosophy, a lot of teaching will paint the picture of the Holy Spirit kind of like the Force. And it's like... You just, you know, Yoda's just trying to get Luke to use the force, use the force, be in tune with the force. And a lot of times that's how people approach the Holy Spirit. Like, it's just this, it's it, it, it. The emphasis is it. And it is this, just this magical power, this kind of this force of this special thing that you can tap into and you can learn to use and, and even kind of manipulate. And and most people won't come right out and say it in those words, but there are entire um, groups of of spiritual leaders and entire movements and teaching that is based on this kind of concept where if you can just tap into the power and if you will believe enough and realize your potential with that power enough that God is 
obligated to release his blessing and favor and provision into your life. There's nothing that can stop it. There's no, there's no question of whether it will happen. If you just believe enough, you have the word of faith enough that you pronounce that the power of the Spirit of God is unleashed and unbridled and you're just good to go. And there's all kinds of other variations of that. But that's how so many people treat the Holy Spirit, uh, some in a minor way, some in a very severe way, as if it's, you know, the force that you just have to feel and you have to be one with and you have to learn how to, to use. That is not, hear me on this, that is not how the Holy Spirit works. Okay? Let's be very clear. That is not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is not some force, some mystical energy, or something that is meant to be used for our advantage or just our manipulation or anything like that. It's not how the Holy Spirit works. And, and very significantly, you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a he, not it. The Holy Spirit is he, not it. He is a divine person alongside the Father and the Son. Not only is the Holy Spirit a He, but He is a divine person alongside the Father and the Son. That means He he shares all the divine nature and all the divine attributes that God the Father and God the Son have. It's the three in one. The triune God. And as such, because that is true, that means that he, the Holy Spirit, is grieved by sin and can be directly sinned against, just like the Father, just like the Son. There's all sorts of scripture that points to that. Ephesians 4.30, we're commanded there to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by our sin. And in Acts 5, we see Ananias and Sapphira and this incredible, significant, chilling, really, uh, example in the early church life where Ananias and Sapphira decided they were going to sell their, their property, which is what people were doing in the church. It was obviously God directing people to do that. They had these fields and possessions, and they, they were to sell that and give the proceeds to the church as a whole so that it could be distributed to everyone that had need. And the Bible clearly says, everyone decided that everything would be held in common and that everybody would contribute to this shared work and the Holy Spirit was moving and leading and directing people to sell what they had for the good of all. And so this was happening. This was going on. And Ananias and Sapphira said, well, hey, let's jump in on this, but let's keep a percentage of it back for ourselves, but not tell people we're doing that. Let's make it look like we're doing what everybody else is doing and we're giving everything 100%. No one will know. So we'll win, God will win, the people win. It's all win, win, win. But the Spirit of God is not deceived. And he revealed to Peter what was going on and he said to Ananias, he said, how is it that you have decided to have this evil in your heart and to lie against the Holy Spirit. You have not lied or sinned against man, but against God. And instantly he fell dead. And shortly thereafter, his wife joined him. Incredible. He can be grieved by sin, he is grieved by sin, and he can be directly sinned against just as the Father and the Son 
also as a divine person, as part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is co-eternal and co-equal with the Father and the Son. He's co-eternal, co-equal. As the Father and the Son have existed for all of eternity, so has the Holy Spirit with them. And he's co-equal in all of their divine attributes and all their characteristics. It means he's all-powerful just as they are. He's all-knowing as they are. And he is everywhere present. There's no difference in the Spirit of God compared to the Father or the Son. And he was also active in creation. The Holy Spirit was active in creation, and he is active in the new birth as well, the new creation of mankind. As we come to Christ and we receive the gift of salvation, he is active in regeneration. He is active in making a new creation out of the old. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We see him active in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, as he's hovering over the void to allow for creation to take place. Job says in Job 33, 4, the spirit of the almighty has made me and given me breath. And in John 3, 5 through 8, as Jesus is there talking to Nicodemus, he tells them that the spirit is who gives the life of the new man to a person, that spiritual birth takes place directly from the spirit of God. And in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus tells his disciples, as you go out and you make disciples of all nations, as they come to me, as you baptize them, I want you to baptize them in the triune name, the one name of God shared equally among the three. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, church, is very God. He is the Lord Almighty, along with the Father and the Son. So that's an overview. That's so we can be on the same page with some of the very fundamental foundational truths and realities of the Holy Spirit. But as I said at the beginning, Jesus wanted his disciples then and us now to understand how incredibly vital and personal the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit really is. And in John chapter 14, this is also close to Jesus going to the cross, this is what started his kind of last statement, his, his last section of teaching to his disciples before he was going to go to the cross, before he was going to rise from the dead, and before he was going to ascend back to the Father. And he, he said some very important things, and he gave them some very significant truth that we also need to understand, we need to unpack, and we need to apply. And in John chapter 14... Verses 15 through 16, he says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a verification of someone really loving the Lord Jesus. It's the same for us. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what's going to happen. You really love me, you're going to obey me. And here's what he says as a result of that happening. And I will ask the Father, God the Father, and he will give you another Helper, or your translation might say comforter, counselor. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. I'm, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to rise from the dead. And after that, I'm going to return to my Father. You will not see me before you anymore. I'm literally going to go. But you need to understand, I'm not going to just leave you alone 
I'm going to actually send you another helper that will be with you forever. He won't ever leave from you. He will stay with you forever. And we need to understand the significance of what he said by the statement, another helper. Another helper here uh, in this verse is translated from the Greek word alos. And it literally means another of the same kind. It's beautiful. He said, I'm I'm not going to just give you some helper. I'm going to give you, and my Father will give you through me, another of the exact same kind of comforter or counselor or advocate that I have been for you and that I am for you. So Jesus is saying, though I'm going to depart from you, you're not actually losing anything by me returning to heaven. What you have in me and, and what I am for you, you'll still have with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And it speaks again to the awesome, mysterious reality of the Trinity. It's like he spoke uh, with Philip regarding the Father in just the earlier verses of this chapter. In verses 8 through 10, uh, you know, Philip said, just show us the Father. That'll be enough, Jesus. Just show us the Father and we'll believe you. Just show us the Father and everything will be okay. And Jesus says, really, Philip? Really? I mean, you still don't get it? After all this time I've been with you? You don't understand that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? I mean, if, you, if you've heard me, you've heard from the Father because my words are not my own. They are, they are of the Father. Philip, do you still not get it? That my Father is in me and I am in him? It works the same way with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Distinct from one another, separate, individual, but still sharing the one divine nature and always acting in unison. That's how it is with the Spirit of God and the Son of God and God the Father. And the other helper or counselor here, the promised Holy Spirit, is promised to be present with Christ's followers forever. And listen, that promise is for us too. If you're in Christ, you have the promise of the presence of God with you forever. Constantly there. Very, very encouraging truth and encouraging promise and a reality that we need to embrace. Well, about this, this other helper, this another of the same kind that Jesus was for the disciples, he, he went on and he said this, even the spirit of truth, very significant statement there, significant name and title of the Holy Spirit. Even the Spirit of truth, that's who this other helper, this other advocate, this other comforter is. He's even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. And then he says this, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The importance of the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of truth cannot be overstated. Can't be overstated in its significance or its importance. 
Because this means that he, like Jesus, will always be the perfect source of truth. The truth of God is truth. And outside of God's truth, there is no truth. And because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, he, like Jesus, who is the the way, the truth, and the life, will always be the perfect source of truth. And we need that. We need that desperately. Because you, you agree with this, I know you do, there will always be clear, blatant opposition to truth. Always will be. You've probably encountered it many different times, many different ways throughout your life. If you haven't yet, stay tuned. You will. There will always be, in some way, in some context, there will always be opportunity for you to see opposition to the truth. And many times it will be blatant, it will be hostile, and that will increase as time goes forward. And perhaps even more importantly, there will always be examples of people and things that appear at first glance or on the surface, to be sources of truth, but are in fact the exact opposite. That's even more important to understand and to prepare for. I mean, we can spot the examples of the blatant opposition to truth a mile away. I mean, that's easy. I mean, that's, there's really not much to that. I mean, you, you recognize it pretty, pretty easily, pretty clearly. But the thing to remember is that there's always going to be examples of the people that appear to be carriers of truth and holders of truth, but are actually the total opposite. Much has been done, and much has been said, and much has been written in the name of God, and ironically, is often centered around the Holy Spirit specifically. Yet it couldn't be farther from him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 through 15, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. I'm sure you can think of different examples where where you've seen that true, where you've heard that being true. You've seen that on display. You don't have to look very far. And in 1 John 4, 1 through 4, we receive this instruction. Beloved, it's writing to the church. This is to believers, the body of Christ. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And it's just as true now as it was then. And thankfully he doesn't stop there. He gives us some very clear um, ways of discerning that and recognizing that. There's a clear gauge here that you can use to test that. Many false prophets have gone out into the world, and here's what he says, continuing, By this you know the Spirit of God. By this you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In other words, every spirit that you come across, whether that's hearing someone say something, you read something that's written, you hear it said, you see it observed, every spirit that's behind a statement, to know that it's actually the Spirit of God, they're going to point to Jesus and they're going to verify all that the Word of God says about him. They're going to verify and also say all that he has claimed to be and to do. They're going to line up with what Jesus has said about himself, that he really did come from heaven, that he really did live on earth, that he really did go to the cross to bear all of our sin, that he really did die, but that he did not stay dead, that he rose victoriously over sin, over death, and he returned to the Father where he ever lives to intercede for us. It's going to match up. It's going to line up with that. And here's the other thing about the Spirit of God. And here's why in some ways it's easy to neglect him, easy to forget him. It's because the Holy Spirit never shines the spotlight on himself. The Holy Spirit, his ministry, his work, always shines the spotlight on Jesus Christ. He's the floodlight. And his desire, his will is that all of our attention would be turned to the Son. And the Spirit is glorified when that happens. When the Son gets the glory. And so when you see that happening, when you see yourself being drawn more to the Son, and you see yourself seeing Jesus in all of His glory, and all of His splendor, and all of His majesty, and all of His light, then you can be sure the Holy Spirit is involved. When you see the opposite, danger, 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 that's what you should be hearing. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus, who he is, what he is, is not from God. Very clear lines there. Very obvious distinguishing factors. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And God in his goodness doesn't just leave it there through the Apostle John. He inspires John to continue and he says this, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he, don't, don't miss this, do not miss this. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you're in Christ, you've received the Spirit of God. And he, the Spirit who is in you, is always infinitely greater than any anti-spirit that's in the world. So the really good news, church, beloved... The really good news is that because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, anyone who is in Christ has access to this supernatural discernment, which is constantly needed in a big way. I mean, just by by virtue of living in this society and in this culture and in the world, constantly we are in need of discernment, divine discernment, and in Christ Because of the Holy Spirit, we have that. 
We have that access all the time. Because the Spirit, this Spirit of truth, God Himself, is not just around. He's not just on call. But He is dwelling, living with us as Emmanuel, just like Jesus was. It's what Jesus said here in John chapter 14. He said that he will be with you, that he will be with you forever. In verse 17, he will dwell with you and he will be in you. It's just like what Jesus was, Emmanuel, God with us. But even more than being with us, he, the God of the universe, listen, just, just imagine this, the God of all creation, the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit, he's not just with us, but he literally takes up residence in us, in our spirit. I mean, that should blow you away. The Spirit of God dwells in your spirit. All because of Christ and all through Him. You guys remember Aladdin, the the cartoon Aladdin? Remember that movie? No? Yes? Give me something. Okay, Aladdin, yeah. One of the greatest Disney movies ever. Man, I loved that movie. And still love it, actually. I mean, let's just forget. I still love it. I'd watch it right now. And, and one of the best parts to me in Aladdin is when he's, he meets the genie in the cave of wonder. And, you know, he meets the genie, encounters him, and, and um, he's talking to the genie. And he says, so what's it like really being a genie? And the genie, voiced by the great Robin Williams... Um, he, he swells up really big and, and really intimidating, and he says, it's phenomenal cosmic power in an itty-bitty living space. Because of the genie bottle, right? So, you know, he has all this power at his disposal, and he's this great cosmic being, but he's confined against his will, against his desire, in this tiny little lamp. But my friends, with the Holy Spirit, you have the God of the universe, the eternal Spirit of God, who not against His will, but willingly chose and chooses to make His dwelling in you and me. The one who is active in creating everything, The one who hates sin with equal passion as God the Father or God the Son willingly chooses to inhabit you and me even though we choose daily, sometimes multiple times throughout a day, to turn away from the incredible truth of the salvation we have and the cost that it cost the Son to give us, and we still turn to sin, and we still choose it, and we still expose our mind to it, knowing, knowing, as we do that, we're exposing the very Spirit of God in us. Just, just think about that. That's how great our God is. Like we sang this morning, that's how great our God is. That's how great his love is for us, that he would do that, that the Holy Spirit would choose to do that. The God of all things, 
unlimited in his power, chooses to allow himself to be confined, as it were. I mean, he's not confined, but in a way, to confine himself in us, allow himself to see before him constant reminders of all that he despises and all that he knows the Son of God gave himself for to free us from. Incredible. Don't miss the incredible significance of that. And this is why Jesus said that it would be to the disciples' advantage if he went away, so that the Holy Spirit could be sent. Because Jesus, listen to this, this is somewhat of a deep thought, but it's important to get. Jesus, though being fully God, was also fully man. And he would remain that going forward. That's part of the amazing sacrifice of Jesus. It wasn't just the cross. It wasn't just bearing our sin. It's the fact that Jesus, who before Bethlehem existed with the Father and the Spirit eternally without a human body, okay? He took on flesh. He did not have flesh prior to Bethlehem. He took it on. That's part of the incredible magnitude of the incarnation that God became flesh okay so here's Jesus being fully God but now in the time in which he's there before the disciples he's also now fully man from Bethlehem on and he would remain that going forward even after the resurrection even after getting a glorified body he would remain a physical being he would remain the God man that's what he is He's fully God, but fully man. Jesus right now, at this very moment, has a physical body. A glorified body, but a physical one. And he did that for you and me. Here's the the impact, though, as it relates to what we're talking about right here. Because of that, he would not literally, physically indwell those who believe in him. His followers, his disciples, those who come to him, he, Jesus, would not literally physically indwell those who believe in him. That's that's what the Holy Spirit would do. And through him, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is united to his disciples and us to him. You see that incredible connection? The Holy Spirit is what enables Jesus to be united to his disciples, to you, to me, and us to him. It's the Holy Spirit that that provides that connection, that indwelling. And so what that means is the Holy Spirit directly fulfilled Christ's promise in verse 18 where he says, I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. The way he came to his disciples, the way he comes to us, the way he did not leave them as orphans, the way he never leaves us as orphans, the way Jesus is always Emmanuel is by virtue of and through the Holy Spirit. And with all of that in mind, everything we've talked about now, here's what our response is. Here's what our response needs to be to that, to this incredible reality. It's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, excuse me, 6, verse 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought 
with a price, and the price was the very life of the Son of God. So, glorify God in your body, or another way of saying that is, in every part of you, in your entire life. Every fiber of your being, choose to use everything you are for the glory of the God who you are privileged and honored to be the temple for. Think of the temple in the Old Testament where, or the tabernacle before the temple where God's presence actually came down and inhabited. Well, the reason that we don't need a temple to go to, the reason that this, this place, this structure, the reason that this is not actually the church, the reason that you and me in Christ are the church, the reason that's true is because we, as, as feeble and frail and selfish and sinful and weak as we are, because of Jesus, he has enabled us and he maintains us to be the temple of the living God. You and me, we, church, we are the temple of God himself. Therefore, let us glorify God in our body, in our entire being. Would you pray with me? Father, this is truly great and marvelous, astounding truth. This is a reality that should shape and impact every day of our lives. And for that to happen, for us to understand what we have through your grace and through your mercy and through the person of your Son, we need, we need the presence and the work and the ministry of the very Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth which you promised to give all who are in your Son. And so if we are in your Son right now, we have this same Spirit that we've just been talking about, that that we've just heard from your Word about. We have the very Spirit that was promised by Jesus that he would send when he returned to you. We have him with us, but more than with us, we have him in us. What an amazing thought. Oh, Father, help us to not ever get over it. Help us to be constantly amazed by it. But more than that, help us to respond in surrender as a direct result of it. Help us, please, by the power of your Spirit, to give ourselves constantly in every way to you as a thank you. Help us to present our bodies, our whole self, to you as a living sacrifice holy, acceptable, pleasing in your sight, which is reasonable service in view of your mercy, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us. We need your power. We need the power of the Spirit to do that. And Father, as we go forward in the next few weeks through this series and we see some more very specific, very direct areas of work and of ministry that the Holy Spirit brings about in our lives, I pray that through him you would open our eyes and open our hearts to all that he has for us and all that all that we so desperately need from him. Work in us, I pray, at the individual level and corporately as the church. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.